If you're happy to be in church, can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. I am so happy that you're here. So happy to see the children here, and I know God is in this place. How many sense the presence of the Lord here? Amen. We're going to talk today about one of my favorite messages, the union of Christ and his church. This is going to summarize the family section. And if you haven't caught it yet, I hope you get it now. The whole entire purpose of family is to display the union of God with humanity. Everybody say, humanity is meant to reflect the Trinity. Say it again like you mean it. Humanity is meant to reflect the Trinity. Thank you. When we think of God in his triune nature, let's say together, he is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is three persons in one divine being. Many people don't understand the Trinity. Sometimes they think it's three parts, that Jesus is one-third God, the Father is one-third God, the Holy Spirit's one-third God, but that's not true. Sometimes they think that God is just one person, that sometimes is a father, like I'm sometimes a father, well, since I've had children, and then sometimes I'm a son, and, you know, since I've been born, I'm a son, and then sometimes I'm like a pastor. So sometimes God is like the father, sometimes he's the son, sometimes he's the Holy Spirit. That's oneness Pentecostals. Those are the ones with the long hair. They don't let their women wear makeup. They diverted from our branch of Christianity. They are a cult. Stay away from that form of Christianity. Uh, that is not true. So it's not God is three parts like a pie, one-third the Father, one-third the Son, one-third the Holy Spirit. And it's not like God is putting on different hats or different activities being the same person. No, we believe God is three divine persons. They are separate in their personhood but equal in their nature. Now when we look at the family, we see Father, mother, children, three persons making up humanity. The father is not the mother, and the mother is not the child. They are all equally human, and as they have roles to play, they reflect the roles of the Trinity. The father is in charge, and the son submits to him, and then the father and the son command the Holy Spirit. In the, Trinity, in the family, the wife submits to the husband, and the wife and husband lead the children. Children submit to the, fam, uh, to the parents. Does everybody get that? Everybody say, the Trinity is exemplified in the family. Okay, now you're going to learn more about that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. If you're there, can somebody say, I'm there? Amen. Let us go into this passage and get deep. Everybody say, deep. Amen. I think you guys are going to love this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Paul writing here. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Do you see how that comparison is instantly made? Wives, you submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ their Savior. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so wives also should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, now love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Do you see that husbands have a job to do to care for their wives? Look at verse 28, in this same way, everybody saying the same way. So in the same way Christ takes care of the church, the husband is to take care of their wife. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the 
thank you. So you see the comparison again, just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. Let's read these two verses together. One, two, three. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound ministry, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Do you see it? So the Trinity is exemplified in the family. Verse 33, however, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. We talked about this last week for Father's Day, verses uh, 1 and onward in chapter 6. Children, nudge a child next to you and say, he's talking to you now. See, if you notice, Paul's talking to children because children are in the church. He's directing the letter to them because they're supposed to be sitting with their parents. Children, obey your parents. Where are my children? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I didn't get a chance to mention just during the Father's Day message to make the connection, but exasperating your children is exactly what 50 Cent did in the video when he tried to intimidate that man and embarrassed his daughter. Not saying parents won't embarrass their children, that will happen, but his way of trying to do it is exasperating. He'll always be trying to threaten people to treat his daughter a certain way instead of just doing it the other way, which is tell your daughter who to date. Teach your daughter the right person today because I'll have no fear of my daughter dating a man of God. Now, I've always had the naysayers that say, well, pastor, that's because your children haven't dated yet. My pastors, those I look up to already have grandchildren. They did it this way, so stay back with that nonsense. I'm following their example, not your naysaying. Because they said it would change when I got married. I ain't never changed my, my, my pattern since I've gotten married. They said, you'll stop believing that you can do these things with children once you have your first one. We're on our sixth one, only getting better at it. And they say it's going to change when they're teenagers. I say, the devil's a liar. You should change your opinion. And then number two, they say it's going to change when they get married. No, it won't. You can have a godly family from start to finish. The Bible promises that. Amen? So we see there's an order in the family. God, from the church, speaks to the husband, wife, and children. If you take out any of those components, you miss the blessing of God in your family. You cannot come to church and expect to have a blessed family. You have to take what you learn in church and apply it to your life. So husbands, if you're not the spiritual leaders of your home, you can't have a blessed family no matter how much you work. Children, if you don't obey your parents, you can't be blessed no matter how much you try in life. You'll be under the curse of rebellion. We must follow this order. And as I went over in Father's Day, the reason why our culture has so many problems is because this is out of order. How many believe that? Amen. The culture is out of order because the family is out of order. Now, I want you to see the verses that we just read, those two verses, as we get ready to talk about Christ and the church. Look at the verses. Paul points back to the beginning of creation, and he says, this is the reason why a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. People, the entire human race is based upon this principle. It doesn't matter what Ellen DeGeneres tells you. She cannot multiply the human race. RuPaul cannot multiply the human race. This is how we were meant to multiply the human race. And then we weren't just to multiply like animals, uh, be like dogs and rabbits having sex with whatever walks by. We are to have 
families that multiply upon the earth because families are the safest place to raise our children. Anytime you remove a mother or a father from the family component, there are dangers ahead. Now, I thank God for single mothers and single fathers. They don't get mentioned enough, but I thank God for them. But for them to break the statistics, for them to be an exception to the rules, single parents have to be exceptional at what they do. So they have it twice as hard, in other words. So is it any wonder that our culture is the way it is because we're not raising children in the matter that God has told us? But now look what Paul says in verse 32. He says, this is a profound mystery. Now that mystery is not to becoming one, which is amazing how in sex a life comes forth. Do you know that each one of the, the man and woman carry the chromosomes that put together the entire package for the baby? How many knew that? How many knew that just the man's sperm alone has over, I believe, 10 terabytes of information and each single one of his 100 million plus seeds has enough information to store a library? Did you know that? See, doesn't that blow your mind when you think about the technicality of our God that we were designed to replicate and to multiply by God's grace? But Paul is saying that's not even a mystery that we need to stop and talk about. The mystery we need to talk about is Christ in the church. Somebody say Christ in the church. Now for the next two hours, I'm going to go over this chart. Are you guys ready? Half kid. I'm going to go over as fast as I can, but it would probably take about two hours. Everybody take a look at this chart that I took the time to explain. This will thankfully be the last time I talk about sex for a little bit in this church. It's been a little embarrassing for me at times, trust me. I know my children have been here, and so praise God, they're learning better than what they would learn from a TV show or from school. But I have to now talk about it one more time and be detailed. Because our culture is sexually confused, we need to relay, relay the foundation of sexual ethics. When you look to the Old Testament, the Old Testament has three categories of law. Everybody say three categories. Thank you. You basically have the moral law. Everybody say the moral law. Then you have what's known as the civil law. Somebody say civil law. Thank you. And then you have the religious law. Everybody say religious law. Thank you. Now let me ask you a question. When Jesus came and fulfilled all three of those laws, which one do you think he reiterated and said, this one will continue, but the other two will remain only for the Jewish people? Think about my question. When Jesus came, fulfilled all of the three laws perfectly, he was a perfect moral being. Jesus was perfect in the civil government of the Jewish people. They wrongly crucified him for blasphemy because it's not blasphemy if you're God and you say you are. And he perfectly followed the religious law as our high priest. He fulfilled them. But which one, ethical, moral, which would be the same one, civil or religious, which one do you think he reiterated, retaught in the new covenant and said, we're going to keep doing this stuff? Which one do you think it was? The moral, the ethical. Do you guys remember the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder, but now I say, don't even be angry. He's reiterating and he's taking it further. And then he says, you've heard not to commit adultery, but I tell you not to even lust. So does Jesus take the Old Testament moral law and just keep it the way it is? Or does he go deeper to the heart of the matter? He goes deeper. So which category do you think sexual ethics fall under? Do you think they fall under a moral law, a civil law? 
or a religious law. What do you think the sexual ethics of the Old Testament law fall under? The moral law, because they go back to the beginning. Before there was ever the law of Moses, remember the law of Moses came a thousand plus years after Adam and Eve. Before that, there was Abraham, and he knew the moral law. Before that was Noah, knew the moral law. Why did Sodom and Gomorrah get judged? Because they broke the Jewish civil law? No, the Jewish civil law hadn't even been given. Did they get judged because they broke the Jewish religious law? No, Sodom and Gomorrah were judged because they broke the what law? The moral law. Why was Noah's world flooded? Because they ate pork? Because they broke the religious law of the Jew? Was Noah's world flooded because they broke the civil law and didn't show themselves to a priest when they had a skin disease or didn't build a rail around their second-story house, as the Jewish law says? No. Why was the generation of Noah judged? Because they broke the moral law. And so guess what will continue, not only in this age, in the church age, but in the age to come, the Bible says, as we've learned in Ephesians, the age to come will be the moral law. So we got to go back to the Old Testament and understand the moral law. But before we do, let's look at these scriptures. Two become one flesh. In Genesis 1, 26 and 28, I have all the scriptures here. I don't have time to go through them with you. Uh, I'll try to go through as many as I can, but look at the notes. But here's a few I can go through. Genesis 1, 26, God said, let us make mankind in my image singular or our image plural. See, let us. Us is singular or plural. Our is singular or plural. Well, look at it. Let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, and over every creature that moves along the ground. So God made mankind in his own image. That's the image of Jesus we were then singularly made in. In the image of God, the plurality, he made them, plural, male and female, he made them. Come on, somebody say them. So why does it go singular there? Because who's the one that actually made us out of the dirt? Jesus. Jesus literally came down and made Adam and Eve in his image, representing the triune image, the R and the us. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number. There's your third person of humanity. Here you have male and female representing the two genders, but the two persons are there, and then when they are fruitful and increase, they produce a third, don't they? A third component of their family. So every family will have three components, a husband and a wife and children. Is everybody with me on that? Okay, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. At this point right here, was Eve under the authority of her husband? No. When did Eve come under the authority of her husband? After she sinned, that was part of her curse. Part of her curse is that she would have pain in childbearing and that she would be under her husband. Look at it, Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he said, this is after she sinned, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. How many are mad at Eve right now? See, childbearing did not hurt before the curse. And then guess what happens right here? Your desire will be for your husband, and he will what? And he will what? Rule over you. Now, does that mean that man can abuse and mistreat the woman? No. Rule there simply means authority. 
So how did woman lose her status of having the same authority of, of Adam? She lost it at the fall, and then she got pain and childbearing. That's where it happened, just to let you know, by the way. And what happened to the earth? It got cursed. That's why there's natural disasters. And then what happened to the man? The man has to now plow the ground with weeds, and then he will suffer for the human race. And that's why God became a man, God, the God-man, Jesus Christ. So when we look here, we see the beginning is male and female, and he made them in his image. That is the pattern. Everybody say the pattern. Now, why do you think he made them male and female to multiply? What is the secret behind him making humanity? What's the profound ministry? What does this represent on earth? The image of God. One person gets it. I had you repeat it about three times. Thank you. I can't move to the prohibitions till you guys get this. Everyone pay attention, please. Why did God create an earth when he was already in heaven? Why did God put upon the earth a man and a woman to become one and then have a child? What was the purpose of that? To reflect his image. Does everybody get that? So you are here to have sex. No, you're here to reflect his image. You are here to till the ground and make a lot of money from the ground. No, you're here to reflect his image. Do you get it? The very first purpose of creation was for you to reflect his image. And what was that going to include? Sexual union. So what we learn is that physical union to becoming one in the act of sex is actually a spiritual metaphor of God and people becoming one in spirit. Think about it. Why is he teaching us in the passage of Ephesians that from this very beginning that a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, the two become one? And he says, this is a profound mystery. Where's the mystery? Or in the Greek, the mysterion. Where do we miss it? Where don't we understand it? And we have to wait to the end to get it. Like a good movie that shows you a mystery. You get it at the end. What is the thing now at the end with Jesus walking among us? What should we really understand that husband and wife and sex and all humanity was ever made for? Christ and the church. It was always about Christ and the church. There was never a time when you were created that it wasn't about Christ and the church. You will stop being a mother, but you will always be united to Christ in the church. You will stop being a son or a daughter to your parents, but you'll always be Christ in the church. You are not going to heaven to be reunited with people. You are going to heaven to be reunited with Christ. In heaven, there are no more mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters and cousins. We are all equal now, sons and daughters of God. You will not go there and then have a mother over you. You will not go there and command your children under you. My children may get greater rewards in the kingdom and rule over me forever in the kingdom if they've been obedient to Christ. Your role that you play now is for a season, a lifetime. And so never forget the purpose of your humanity, the very fact you're a human. Never forget the purpose of your sexuality, why you're a male or a female. And never forget the purpose of you being a parent or now children under your parents is for the greatest purpose of Christ in the church. Now, let me ask you a question. 
If union or sex between man and woman producing children represents Christ in the church, how serious do you think God is going to take sexual perversion? Which perversion is a diversion from the original version. How serious do you think God's going to take it? He's going to take it so serious that when he gives his law, he's going to name every sexual perversion and say these are the things that deserve death under the civil law of the Jewish people. Now, though we live by the moral law, how many are happy we don't have the Jewish civil law, that we're not killing those who had sex outside of marriage, that we're not killing those who fornicate, etc., or adulterers, but how many would still like to kill rapists, those who have incest? Incest, hello? It's quiet up in this Presbyterian church. Any Pentecostals here today? (laughs) Pedophilia. Well, I want you to look at these prohibitions. I won't go through all the scriptures, but I have them all here. I literally set my Bible program to go through every one of these passages. Just to give you an example, here's Exodus twenty-two sixteen: If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price and she shall be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must still pay the, price, the bride price for virgins. So you're not allowed to just have sex with your girlfriend. This is consensual. So if you were to have sex with my daughter as a man with my daughter, in that culture, it's you marry her right now. And if she doesn't want to marry, me, uh, marry you, you pay me, the father, the price of a bride because of what you've just done. There has been honor for the women in our culture ever since the time the Bible was created, male and female. That says that we were created male and female. Incest, prohibitions against incest, same sex, bestiality, pedophilia, adultery, rape. So everybody get this. Look up at me. Let's get it. Come on. If somebody now says to you, well, you guys go to the Old Testament and say this stuff's a sin. Do you guys eat crawfish and shrimp? Because that says it's a sin as well. What are you going to say back to them? What are you going to say? You're going to say, I keep the what law? The moral law, right? Not the civil and not the religious law. Jesus taught us through the apostles and the commandments. We don't, uh, through the apostle and the epistles, we don't have to keep the commandments of the Sabbath, the Jewish feast days. You can read Colossians, Galatians, etc. But now you want to know how to turn it right back on them? Say, well, hold on. If you have a problem with me getting my moral law about homosexuality from the Old Testament, then that must mean you want to legalize bestiality too. That must mean you want to legalize pedophilia as well. That must mean you want me to be okay with rape. And what they'll do at that moment is say, no, I'm not saying same sex is, homosexual sex is the same as incest, but what we're saying is not the act is the same, but the perversion is the same. It wasn't the original version. So it's this way for us. Either we take all the moral code or we take none of it. So if you have a problem with us going there, are you telling us bestiality is okay? Because according to them, Jesus didn't say anything against homosexuality, so it must have been okay. But Jesus didn't say anything against bestiality either. So either Jesus assumed the moral law was for that day to the point where he took adultery and made it so specific. He said, now if you do it in your heart, you're even sinning. So either God made it more strict and all of this applies or none of it applies. But guess what? In almost every single one of Paul's lists, what do you think is the first sin Paul lists in his lists? Of sins. What do you think is the first one he lists almost every single time? Sins of sexual immorality and impurity. Look at Galatians 5 19. 
The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual what? Immorality. Impurity. Look at that. How many know we've been in the book of Ephesians? Go to Ephesians chapter 4 at the end there, that list that we've been going through. Look at the list. Therefore, take all falsehood. Uh, speak truthfully to your, your neighbor in your anger. Do not sin. Do not let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Get rid of all of these things. Follow God's example. Now watch this, verse 3. But there must not even be a hint, a hint. You think a Jewish man following a Jewish Messiah is going to say, I'm cool with incest now? Do you think a Jewish man like Paul following a Jewish Messiah is going to say, I'm good with fornication now? Do you think he's going to say, I'm good with bestiality now? I'm good with adultery? No, he goes even one step farther. He says, I don't even think there should be a, a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. It's like, teenager, I don't like your friends. I got a hint of it between you guys. You're breaking up. If you're living in my house, you're breaking up. Are you listening to me? There should not even be a hint of sexual immorality because that's how serious God takes it. The word is inspired. Now listen, when Jesus comes, does he change the moral law? No. Does he even change the religious law or the civil law? No. He just fulfills it and says it has accomplished its purpose in him. By Jesus dying on the cross, he fulfilled the civil law as the guilty, as, as the innocent dying for the guilty. As him being the high priest for us, praying for us there on the cross, he was the high priest and fulfilled the laws of all the religious duty and became the sacrifice. He was the priest and the lamb. So did he change even the religious law or the civil law? No, he fulfilled it and brought it to its end. We graduated, went from first grade to second grade. As Galatians says, the law was a tutor to bring us to a greater thing. So he didn't even change it. He completed it. Completed it. So that's why, as David said, we love the law. We love all of what it is because it stands for Christ. Even the particular things about their diet, in other words, was to make them different from the nations. And I thank God that all of that was fulfilled in Christ. And then he said, you can go back to eating all of the other things. Adam and Eve could eat everything. They were vegetarians, but once they were taken out, they could eat everything of the garden or of the earth. And then Noah was told he could eat everything. Prohibitions was only put on for Moses. And then after being fulfilled, we go back to eating everything. That's why Jesus says, not what goes into a man, it defiles him, it's what comes out. Now, is it any wonder that when Jesus comes, he takes adultery to now mean lust? No, he takes it further. And then he says, all sex outside of sin is perversion. But what does Jesus remind us of in Mark chapter 10? In Mark chapter 10, look at what Jesus teaches us. He says in Mark chapter 10, verse 6, but at the beginning, somebody say the beginning. So did Jesus believe that Adam and Eve were real people, or do you think they were myths? So if Jesus believed they were real, I'm going to believe they were real. But at the beginning of creation, God made them what? Male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one what? Separate. So what does Jesus do? Jesus reiterates what was taught in the beginning. What does Paul do? Paul then comes after Jesus, reiterates what was taught in the beginning. Didn't we just read right here in Ephesians chapter uh, uh, 5, right there at the end? Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. This is a profound, let's go back up, verse 31 rather. Ephesians chapter, one, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become what? Now look at it, everybody look at the screen as you're looking at me, if you can do two things. Okay, look at me and look at the screen. 
It was said in the beginning. Moses put up the prohibitions. Jesus reiterates it. Paul says why it was there to point us back to creation with Christ in the church. And guess what happens at the end of the book in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7? Guess what happens? Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Even John explains that to us. Everybody look up at me now, please, as we get ready to close. Check this out. God made humanity to reflect his image. And it was always about him being in union with us. When he made us, it was for that purpose. Sin came in and defiled us, but he didn't reject us. He actually came as a man to forgive us of our sins, to die on the cross, to raise again on the third day. And guess what? His first miracle in the book of John was at where? Where was Jesus' first miracle? At a wedding. What's the last miracle upon the earth? The wedding. Think about it. It's always been about a wedding. It's always been about male and female. It's always been about representing God's image upon the earth. That's why when I show you this picture right here, I want you to understand that you were always meant to be this close to God. When you guys are crying out saying, I need Jesus, I need Jesus, that's wonderful. But God wants you to start saying, I have Jesus, I have Jesus. He's this close to me. He's never left me. He'll never forsake me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You could see the red flame as Jesus and you as the blue flame. You are intertwined in the spiritual realm with God. And what's an example of that? When the birds and bees get together. And what are we to him? A beautiful, spotless bride. I wish this would be in white, but it's just the best example that I could find. That is why the homosexual or the incest or the pedophile or the orgy or the adulterer or all those things fail in comparison because God always had his eye just on one. Because God always had his eye just on one. He wanted his people to know that he loved them, that he was the greatest romantic of all times. And he wanted you to participate in his divine romance. Some may say the divine romance. The divine romance was us and God. My wife and I are a symbol of us and God. That's what marriage represents and the fruitfulness that comes from that. God so loved you, not just what you would do for him, but for what he made you to be. He made you to be this. So it's not like you have to work and earn this. It's not like you're Cinderella putting something together for the ball, and then all of a sudden the magic person comes and changes the fairy, and then someone falls in love with you. No, he loved you before you even knew who you were, and he loved you knowing you would be at your worst. But he loved you because he knew he made you for that purpose. Like a puzzle piece coming together perfectly. Like a hole being filled. Christ made us for relationship. And so today, my friends, we must see that Christ's union with the church is not only corporate, but it's individual. Individuals are the bride of Christ. The ones that he loves. And so the question is, do you want to be the bride of Christ? As Adam prepares to come with Vinny... I want you to think about that. I want you to ask yourself, do you want to be who God made you to be?
Because all of human sexuality between man and woman is based on the revelation of Christ being united with his bride, the church. I want us just to close our eyes as we get ready to close and to be honest with ourselves. Am I united with Christ? And if you need to look back up at the picture, you can, but, you know, just look at your heart too. Am I this close to Jesus? Is Jesus on the inside of me as close as a man and woman are together on their honeymoon night? Is that how close Jesus is to you? If he is, just start to thank him and praise him right now in your own words. If he's not, ask him to forgive you of anything holding you back. See, now you understand what sin is. Sin is not just something bad you do. Sin is something that separates you from the love of God. Sin is what takes you out of relationship with God. And guess what? There's no sin he can't forgive right now. So if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I don't feel like I'm in union with God like that. I don't feel like he's that close to me. I don't hear his voice. I, I, I have doubts all the time. Well, right now, confess all those doubts to the Lord. Say, Lord, forgive me for doubting you. Come into my heart and change my life. Make me a new person so that in my spirit, you can be one with me as man and woman. We're made to be one with each other. Every child here today that understands what I'm saying, ask Jesus to be that close to you. And you'll never settle for anything less in your relationship with the opposite sex. If children know Jesus as their intimate lover right now, they'll never fall for an imitation less than kind of lover. They'll only want a husband or wife that represents Christ and the church. Maybe you're right now and you're praying and you're thinking, I wish my marriage represent Christ and the church. Well, pray for your marriage right now. Maybe your husband or wife's not saved. Ask them to get saved when you get home, but pray for them now. If they're sitting next to you in a few moments, ask them to come up and get prayer. Or if you're going through different issues in the marriage, pray right now that if there's been sin, it will be forgiven. If it's bitterness, it will be made better. But right now, marriages can look like Christ in the church. If you're here today as a child and you're growing up in a single-parent home, pray for your single mom or single dad right now. Pray for their strength to raise you right. As we get ready to close out this family series, I'm going to ask that the altar workers would come because I want everyone to know as we move past this portion of Scripture, tomorrow we're going to talk about, uh, next week we'll talk about our jobs rather, then we'll get into spiritual warfare. But before we do that, today I want everyone to know you can receive prayer for your family, for your sexuality, for your wholeness. Some of you are listening to me. Come on, let's keep it an attitude of prayer. Some of you are listening and you're saying, Pastor, you know, I've lost my virginity. I've already messed it up. Well, you know what? You can become a born-again virgin. Find someone here of the same gender and just have them pray with you. Just say, I feel guilty for all the bad things that I've done. They'll pray with you. Or maybe you're here and somebody violated you. They did incest to you. They did rape to you. And you feel dirty and unclean. I want to tell you, that couldn't be further from the truth. You're as beautiful as the day God created you. And if you need healing in your heart, God will heal. And I'm telling you what, if we have to report what's happened, we will. We'll get your back. But I don't want you to miss out on God's love today. You have not become spoiled goods because of what someone did to you. A few more moments before we close out and make this a time of prayer and worship. Even if you need to come, come right now. Don't even be ashamed. I'll close out in just a moment. But even if you need to come, come right now. Because I'm going to pray a few more moments for all of us here. Lord.
Let no one leave out the same way they came. You gave us a word at the beginning of this service about breakthrough. And I pray that whatever's going on in families or sexuality or from the past, Lord, that you will give a breakthrough of a new life, God. And for whoever who feels far away from you, may they feel close to you. A few more moments. If you feel close to God, just tell them thank you. Come on, isn't there, there's nothing better than the nearness of our God, right? Take a few moments and say, oh, I love you, Jesus. If you feel away from God, just come up right now. We'll pray with you. Even if you just feel like you're going through a dark valley and you don't sense him with you, we'll pray with you. No one is going to judge your experience right now. A few more moments. God, help us to know we're this close to you. We're closer to you than the air we breathe. Someone might say like a child, well, where is Jesus? You know, we always say my heart. Does that mean he's living in my heart, my my cardiovascular organ? No. You know where I tell my children? Jesus lives where your thoughts live. Jesus lives where your feelings live. Jesus lives in the soul. What makes you more than just flesh and blood? He's that close to you. Would you stand up as we get ready to dismiss those who are praying? Keep praying. But we're going to dismiss everyone here as the band gets ready to worship. And if you haven't come up yet, please find someone to pray with you if you need it today. We don't want you to leave out without knowing you are loved. And there is a family for you. There is a purpose for you. There is a breakthrough. Even right now, I sense God doing it at these altars. Lord, bless us today as we go our separate ways. May we always know that you loved us enough to die for us. Not because of what good we would do, but because of who you made us to be. You are the peace that's always been missing, oh God. You're the pole, the one that fills the hole in our soul, oh God. You made us for this. So let us know you. Let us know you like we've never known you. Let us love you like we've never loved you. And be with us today and the rest of our lives. Remember, you made us for relationship. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you give it up for Jesus, the lover of our souls? Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Those who want to pray, keep coming up. Otherwise, we're going to worship, and we'll see you at life groups. God bless you. And Jesus, Jesus, center, center the lives today, God. Bless them today, Jesus. All that needs to be done, God, do it at these altars. God bless those who have to go. Thank you for coming. But if you need prayer or want to worship, let's go deep in this after party. Nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Cause Jesus, you're the center And everything revolves around